Welcome to episode 20 of Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC's continuing celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. If you've not already viewed episode 2, which is my primer on numerology and revelation, I urge you to do so since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding Revelation and this series. The focus of this episode is chapter 14, the third of three chapters in Act 1 of the Divine Drama, a system of organizing the second half of Revelation and which I discussed in episode 17. As in chapters 12 and 13, John's perspective in chapter 14 is earthly, looking up toward heaven. The chapter marks the beginning of the redemption following the rampages of the beasts in chapters 12 and 13. The illustration, John dictating Revelation, is a 15th century Italian fresco in the Greek style at Mount Athos, Greece. I have divided the readings from chapter 14 into five parts. The first reading is verses 1 through 5. The illustration, the Lamb and the 144,000, is an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment from a Spanish manuscript of Revelation produced around 1086 A.D. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. In chapter 14, verse 1, we read the first sign of hope of redemption from the rampages of the various beasts in chapters 12 and 13. St. John looks and sees the, quote, lamb standing upon Mount Zion. This is the first mention of the Lamb since his first appearance in Revelation 5, verse 6, in which the elders fall down before him, and Revelation 7, verses 9, 10, and 17, the sealing of God's servants. The New Testament precedent for Christ as the Lamb is in St. John's Gospel account of Jesus' first encounter with John the Baptist, who says, Behold! the Lamb of God, in John 1, 29. The Old Testament precedent is Isaiah's description of the suffering servant 
led to the slaughter from Isaiah 53.7. In the idealist view, Mount Zion is a spiritual allusion to the church universal or the temple which is in heaven in Revelation 14.17 or the heavenly temple in Revelation 21.9-27 and not the temple mount at Jerusalem. The author of Hebrews made the same connection in Hebrews 12, verse 22. Hebrews is traditionally credited to St. Paul. The illustration is the central detail from the Lamb on Mount Zion from the Bamberg Apocalypse, an early 11th century illuminated manuscript of Revelation as it was used in high resolution and in full size on page 118 in the AIC bookstore publication. Revelation and Idealist Interpretation. With him are 144,000 of his servants, their number being the magical number 144,000, discussed in Episode 2, The Primer on Numerology in Revelation, and again in Episode 12, The Sealing of God's Servants. 144,000 is the result of the magical number Twelve, which is the tribes of Israel, multiplied by twelve, the apostles, and then by a thousand, from a Hebrew word which means a great many. Later in verse 3, St. John declares that these are those, quote, redeemed from the earth, with the presumption that they are the same 144,000 mentioned in Revelation 7, 3 to 8 in the account of the sealing of God's servants. Their foreheads are marked, not blasphemously, with the mark of the beast from Revelation, Revelation 13, 16-18, but with his father's name, in the manner suggested in Revelation 7, verses 3-8, to and in the Old Testament, by the headband worn by the temple priests, worthiness to the Lord from Exodus 28, verses 36, and Exodus 39, verse 30. In earlier slides, in episode 10 on Revelation 5, verses 6 to 10, this was treated as representing Christ the Lamb amidst his church, represented by the elders. The anonymous artists who prepared the Bamberg Apocalypse depict him with a Greek cross in the halo behind his head that has become a traditional image of Christ. As in the Old Testament appearances of God in verse 2, there are voices from heaven, in this case sounding like many waters and loud thunder, images used by St. John in Revelation 4 verse 5, 8 verse 5, 10 verses 3 and 4, or the seven thunders, all of which recall Exodus 19 verse 16. It also recalls Psalm 29, verse 3, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. It is the glorious God that maketh the thunder, which was also quoted in episode 15 on Revelation 10, verse 3. To this classic Old Testament imagery, St. John adds the sound of harpists playing their harps, which is the basis in the Christian tradition for the association of angels and heavenly sounds with harps. Also in verse 3 is the reintroduction of the four living creatures, 
who first appeared in Revelation 4, verses 6 to 9, Revelation 5, 6 to 11, Revelation 6, 1 to 8, Revelation 7, verse 11, all based upon Ezekiel's vision from Ezekiel 1, 5 and 21, and the elders who first appeared in Revelation 4, 4 and 10, 5, 8, and 7, 11 to 15. This time, John gives no number for the elders who numbered 24 in the earlier citations. In verse 3, St. John mentions another new song sung by the angelic voices, the second mention of a new song in Revelation. The first was Revelation 5.9, in which the Lamb is declared worthy to open the scroll. The Old Testament precedent for the concept of a new song being needed is Psalm 33, verse 3, 96-1, 98-1, 144-9, and 149-1. This new song, for which no words were offered by St. John, can only be learned by the 144,000 redeemed from the earth. In traditional early Christian thinking, especially in the early church, these are often known as the faithful remnant. In verse 4 and 5, St. John offers more descriptions of the virtues of the 144,000. First, they are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. In the Septuagint Old Testament, that is the Greek Old Testament, There is a clear association between prostitution and idolatry and another association between virginity and virtue. The Septuagint translation of Isaiah 7.14 refers to the virgin in Greek Parthenos, who would give birth. The Hebrew Masoretic scholars working in the 900 years after Christ changed that translation of virgin to young woman. The illustration is an 11th century mosaic of the virgin birth prophecy of Isaiah, Neomoni Monastery, Chios, Greece. They are said to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, which is most likely an allusion to St. John's account of the I am the Good Shepherd declaration in John 10 verses 1 to 18 and the continuation in John 10 Verse 27, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This and the other I am declarations are discussed in episode 29 through episode 35 in the AIC Bible study series, New Testament Gospel. The illustration for this slide is a stained glass window of Christ and a lamb at St. Mary's Church in Halifax, Nova Scotia. The remaining virtues, the first fruits to God and the lamb, and have no deceit in their mouth and without fault before the throne of God, allude to Old Testament concepts of personal virtue, such as that in this dialogue between Ruth and Naomi in Ruth 1, verses 16 to 18. The illustration is a detail from Ruth and Naomi by William Blake. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, 
and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. The second reading from chapter 14 is verses 6 through 8. The illustration is a detail from the illumination, Three Angels Flying from the Bamberg Apocalypse, used in full size on page 121 in the AIC Companion Bookstore publication, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven and having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The other angel in verse 6 is the first of three angels in chapter 14. They preach the everlasting gospel to all who dwell on earth, indeed to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. The New Testament precedent is the Great Commission, Jesus' last commandment to the apostles in Matthew 28, 18-20, and Luke 24, 44-48, commanding and empowering them to preach the gospel to the whole world. This inclusive phrase appears again in whole or in part in Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9, 10, 11, 11, 9, and 13, 7. In verse 7, the angel announces that the hour of his judgment has come and calls the world to worship, fear God, and give glory to him. The Old Testament precedents are Proverbs 1, 7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and also Ecclesiasticus from the Deuterocanonical Old Testament, the root of wisdom is to fear the Lord, from Ecclesiasticus 1, verse 18, in the SAAS text. Two other precedents are found in the Psalms, from Psalm 103, 11, and 13, For look how high the heaven is in comparison of the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Even so, the Lord is merciful to them that fear him. And from Psalm 33, 17, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, and upon them that put their trust in his mercy. The angel's reference to the hour of judgment has come, and the references to both judgment and worship may be allusions to the statement Jesus made in John's presence and reported in his gospel in John 2 verse 4, My hour is not yet come. Hour comes from the Greek hora, which means a specific period of time. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus said, But the hour is coming and now is, 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. That's John 4, verse 23. The illustration for this and the next slide is the Christ Pantocrator icon at St. Catherine's Monastery, Sinai, the oldest known extant icon of Christ, which was painted in the 6th century. In John 12, verse 20, Jesus speaks again of the imminence of judgment. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In Revelation 14, verse 7, and the verses that follow, the hour has now come when all will be judged. In verse 8, a second angel announces that Babylon has fallen because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This Babylon is not the historical kingdom of Babylon that took the Israelites into captivity, but St. John's allusion to Rome and its empire, which conquered most of the known world, an image used again in Revelation 17, verse 5. Some believe that the wine of wrath of her fornication in verse 8 refers to the blasphemy of emperors who call themselves gods and persecution of many peoples and nations, including the Hebrews. A similar indirect reference to Rome is St. John's numbering of the beast in Revelation 13, verse 18, discussed in an earlier episode. The phrase wine of wrath is used again in the next set of readings in verse 10 with an interesting variation. The third reading from chapter 14 is verses 9 through 12. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. What the third angel describes in verses 9 to 12 is the judgmental wine of the wrath of God against those who worship the beast or his image or who bear his mark on their foreheads. Their fate is graphically described in verse 10, torment with fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels and the Lamb. They will have no rest day or night forever and ever. Fire and brimstone recall the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah, spoken of in episode 16 regarding Revelation 11 verse 8. It is also suggestive of the fires of Molech in the valley of Hinnom, or Greek Gehenna, outside Jerusalem, which is referred to in 2 Kings 23, verse 10, 2 Chronicles 28, 3, and Jeremiah 7, 31, and 32, and Jeremiah 19, 1 to 15. The difference between the eternal torment of the followers of the beast 
and the fate of the faithful will be demonstrated in verse 13 in the final set of verses in this episode. The wrath that is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation in verse 10a is an allusion to an Old Testament-based worship tradition in the temple in which the priest diluted the wine with water in a ratio three parts wine to one part water. This should be compared to the promise in the final verse, here is the patience of the saints, the second use of the same phrase, the first being in Revelation 13.10. The saints are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This also is an allusion to the difference between the fate described for the worshipers of the beast and the promises to the faithful in Revelation 7, verses 15 to 17, who will, quote, neither hunger any more nor thirst any more and will enjoy living fountains of waters and who are assured that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. St. John will allude to the traditional concept of rest in Revelation 14, verse 13, in the next set of readings. The fourth and final reading from chapter 14 is verses 13 to 20. The illustration is a detail of the one like the Son of Man in Harvest the Vintage and Illumination in Tempera and Gold on Parchment from the Bamberg Apocalypse extracted from the full-size version used on page 124 in the AIC bookstore publication Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he, he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for one thousand 600 furlongs. These eight final verses in chapter 14 are among the most difficult and complex so far in Revelation. In verse 13, John receives another instruction from on high to write a beatitude, the second of seven in Revelation. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. For more on the scriptural meaning of blessed, 
see part two of the AIC Bookstore publication, Christian Spirituality and Anglican Perspective. It is ratified by the Spirit, yes, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Here John means the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who inspired John and who was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when the vision came in Revelation 1.10. Verse 13 is only two short sentences, but the meaning is very complex. Especially important are these three words, rest, labor, and works. In Hebrew Old Testament tradition, there were three kinds of rest. Sabbath day rest, refuge, as in the flight from captivity in Egypt, and in the kingdom of God, referring to those who are blessed of the Lord and who lead righteous lives as explained in the commandments and in Psalm 1. In the New Testament era, it is Hebrews, traditionally credited to St. Paul, which provides illumination as to the meaning. The author of Hebrews explains why some in the Old Testament era were denied God's rest using the two-edged sword image, which St. John used in Revelation 1.16. Here's Hebrews 4.11-13. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In verse 14, another detail first used in chapter 1 appears again. This is the one like the Son of Man, which was first read in Revelation 1.13b, based on Daniel 7 and discussed in detail in episodes 3 and 4. He appears on a white cloud, wearing a golden crown and bearing a sickle. The New Testament precedent is Mark thirteen twenty six. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The full-size version of the scene in the illustration is found on page 124 in Revelation, an idealist interpretation, which includes two other illuminations from chapter 14. The loud voice image is used again in verse 15 to describe the instruction from another angel, the fourth in this chapter, the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The sickle harvesting image of what is to come in the next verses has two New Testament precedents, the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew thirteen twenty-four to 43 and the parable of the scattered seed or the growing seed in Mark 4, 26-29. But when the grain ripens immediately, he, the grower, puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's Mark 4, 29. The one like the Son of Man reaps in verse 18, sticking the sickle in the earth. Afterward, in verse 19, a fifth angel appears, followed by a sixth angel, 
this one having power over fire and also bearing a sickle, urging immediate harvesting, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are truly ripe. The instruction repeats nearly word for word the prophecy of Joel 3.13, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. And the previously quoted line from the parable of the scattered seed in Mark 4, 26-29. In verse 19, the angel harvests the vine of the earth and throws it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress image recalls a harvesting image of tithing from Numbers 18.27, And your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. John refers to winepresses again in later chapters of Revelation. This is the origin of the term, the grapes of wrath. In verse 20, John says the winepress was trampled outside the city. The term is derived from the Hebrew practice of performing certain tasks outside the walls or outside the camp, meaning not within the holy grounds of the temple or tabernacle. Examples are the burning of entrails and offal in Exodus 29.14 and Leviticus 4.11-12, and in the New Testament era, the stoning of St. Stephen in Acts 7, verses 54 to 60, and also the crucifixion of Christ. The vast quantity of blood which flows in verse 20 was as deep as the bridles of the horses for 1,600 furlongs, which is four times four times thousand, or about 184 miles. The horror of it echoes the image found in Zechariah 14, 2-12, a prophecy of judgment upon all the people who have fought against Jerusalem. With verse 20, the judgment of the world, aside from the 144,000 of the faithful remnant, is now complete. Thank you for joining me for episode 20 in Revelation and Idealist Interpretation. Next time in episode 21, the focus is on chapters 15 and 16. The seven angels and the seven plagues are bowls of wrath, which together are act two of the divine drama of the second half of Revelation. Other AIC resources for topics discussed in this episode include from the AIC Bible Study video series, The New Testament Gospels, in addition to the I Am declarations in episode 29 to 35 mentioned earlier, John's account of Jesus' references to concepts of time, including hour, are the subject of episode 43 and episode 44. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, in the companion book to the series, Revelation and Idealist Interpretation, chapter 14 includes commentary on the whole chapter, illustrated with three beautiful and highly imaginative illuminations from the Bamberg Apocalypse on pages 118, 
121 and 124. The book includes 51 illustrations from the Bamberg Apocalypse. My primer on numerology in Revelation is found on pages 7 to 11. From the Acts of the Apostles, annotated and illustrated, presented in 224 pages with 77 illustrations from the 9th to the 21st century, the Trial of St. Stephen is discussed in Chapter 7 with a late 10th century illumination of the stoning of St. Stephen on page 59. In the Gospel of John, annotated and illustrated, presented in 198 pages with 86 illustrations, John's account of Jesus' I Am the Good Shepherd declaration is discussed and illustrated in chapter 10. In the Gospel of Matthew, annotated and illustrated, presented in 262 pages with 117 illustrations, the parable of the wheat and the tares is discussed in chapter 13. In the Gospel of Mark, annotated and illustrated, presented at 186 pages with 86 illustrations, Mark's account of Jesus' prophecy of end times and his reference to the coming of the Son of Man is discussed in chapter 13. In the writing prophets of the Old Testament of the major prophets, Isaiah is discussed and illustrated in part 2, chapter 1, pages 13 to 20. Jeremiah in Part 2, Chapter 2, pages 21 to 28. Daniel in Part 2, Chapter 4, pages 37 to 58. The prophet Zechariah is discussed and illustrated in Part 3, Chapter 11, pages 105 to 110. In Layman's Lexicon, there are several words and phrases of relevance to this episode, including angels slash archangels, blessed, church, energy slash energies of God, fear of the Lord, heaven, judgment, Lamb of God, mercy, numerology, pantocrator, parables, prophet slash prophecy, Sabbath, Septuagint, shepherd, scion, son of man, wisdom, and worship. Finally, from the prayer book Psalter, History, Text, and Commentary, Psalms mentioned in this episode include four psalms credited to David, including Psalm 1, the two-way psalm on pages 1 to 2, Psalm 29 on pages 64 to 65, Psalm 33 on pages 74 to 75, and Psalm 103 on pages 236 to 238. The key to accessing everything produced by the Anglican Internet Church is available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net where we've made it easier for you to learn about Christian education, doctrine, worship, and study using your preferred way of learning. You can watch our Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video series using the links on either the digital library or Bible study pages. If you prefer listening, you can listen to the podcast versions of any of our videos using the links on the podcast archive page or to our podcast homilies for all the Sundays 
in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer using the links on the podcast homilies page. If you prefer written works, you can access any of the 17 AIC bookstore publications, all but one available in both paperback and Kindle editions, using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, or directly using my Amazon Author Central page, https colon right slash right slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. Everything after dot com must be in lowercase letters. I also invite you to subscribe to my blog page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.com accessible through the Father Ron's blog tab at the top or the bottom of any page on the site. By clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend, you'll be invited to register your email address and receive notice of all new postings. Please be assured that we do not share subscriber information with any other organization, and you can ask for the removal of your address at any time. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website, and make use of his resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.